Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who lent the director his train board for the shoot. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, you know, I'm actually really disappointed for the for the lack of train in this movie. That's true. Since train's in the title, it's just not 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 a lot of train. Well, we've seen uh, other train movies and this one has a both a lack of trains and also a distinct presence of what are very clearly model trains yes like yes like i understand that timing and stuff they couldn't exactly go to germany to shoot uh right but like it felt I you know we see uh, up until a certain point in time in, in film history we see a fair number of models used the stand-ins for stuff, and boy, they did not do any of the tricks that you do to make models look like the real world. And so it just looks like somebody's train board filmed up. I close. think, yes, I think that the models in this movie are uh, delightfully quaint. Yes, uh, I agree. I'm just. Yes. Paying notice to the fact that, like, there is even a model of a concentration camp with, which is, <laughs> right, A, right. probably, I I was probably, like, in hindsight for somebody later on, was an uncomfortable thing to have been, have to have built, um, you know, yeah. like, a few years later. Uh, but also, like, the it just looks so much like a model. It's It feels like it should yeah. be in a museum, like those models they build of places in museums. Um, yeah. It's just very, Car- uh, it's wild. Director Carol Reed was, according to Philip Kemp's essay with the Criterion release, uh, Reed was embarrassed by the models. Uh, that's uh, understandable. Quote, I remember, yeah, I remember at the time thinking that the mountains looked like ice cream, but the <laughs> war was on. Gainsbourg had a very small stage and it was a very bad model. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, he's referring you, particularly to the, uh, to the end scene. Yes. Yeah. That's all of the yeah. models were, were equally. Yeah, I mean, like you know, as as an enthusiast of such things, as you may or may not be yeah. aware, um, I it's just it's. I thought they to, were great. Well, I mean, they were great if they were in my if they were in my train. Bed. They would right, be fucking right. amazing. They're like leaps and bounds above anything I could even remotely begin to do. But in a in a professional movie set, they feel a little. Uh, oh boy, they because yeah. like, um. Have I ever told you that I went to Miniature Wunderland in uh, Hamburg when I was in, in Germany a while back, which is the world's largest train you, board? Um, you did not tell me that. I didn't tell you about that? Uh, oh, I have so many pictures. I I'm don't remember you ever you. telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, so I went to, yeah. so uh, Hamburg has the world's largest, like, it's it's really, a, it's Model amazing. Train. It's a, it's yeah. an a, like enormous, tra- it's like a whole floor of a convention center, basically. Uh, Excellent. And it, it's like in an old industrial building. Um, it it's really amazing, and but like this is on par with the stuff they have. So they're like professional model builders, but they're having to do it for people who are viewing them live, not through video. So like, there's a limit to what you can do, right? It's always just going to look like a model because you're not filming it; you're presenting it to people live. And so they like about on par with that. But like, I just I got it was like wow, this like these are these are models. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I, I was a big fan of, um, I think 
they just sort of dropped in models anytime they needed something that couldn't be produced via um, stock footage. So like yeah. the model outside of like the Czech uh, steel mill was pretty great. Yes. The model of the train was pretty good because like they didn't like slow down the footage and all that stuff you're supposed to do to like make models like look real. So it just looked yes. like somebody's train board. I don't it's very it was all very cool. It was all very very cool. <laughs> and and not this yeah, like you should introduce that. I have so many there's so many funny strange things in this movie. Pat, before we get into the movie uh, proper and not just talking about the train models. It's probably all we're going to talk uh, about. Let's be very clear. Here. It probably is. We'll spend the next hour talking I mean, about the I, train models. I could. I don't know if you can. Well, before we, you want to, but I could. Before we do that, let's talk about our Patreon. Okay. let's Patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for just a dollar a month. You help keep us going and get some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film over there every month, and our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, I put together that list. It's usually four films, and then the fifth option is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. More uh, relevant than ever. As a, little, as a little escape valve in case my list really, really sucks. Uh, the more, The longer we go on, the higher the bar becomes that or I guess the lower the bar becomes that we have to go below before uh, before our supporters I, vote I, for Kazam. I, at this point, am not sure you could make a list that is bad enough yeah. that they will want to watch, to hear us talk about that. Because they have to, to willingly decide, I don't really want to listen to this month's um, Patreon yeah. notice. Like, I'm not, <laughs> right, this month right, I'm not right. interested. Uh, I'm too busy with work or whatever, so I'm going to vote for what amounts to the nuclear option. Right, right. And to say this is not yeah, this more month is not for me. Yeah. We do it every month from January through November and then December is our uh our holiday special that goes out to everybody. So there's no there's no separate criteria. There's no separate uh And you also don't get the vote on that one. Um we go wholly yeah. under democratic during the, the month of December. Right, right. We we autocratically decide what uh, what our holiday movie is going to be? Well, mainly because I'm um, not sure you could produce a four movie list for like no. any number of years that fits that theme. Every year is a struggle. Yeah. Right, almost never. Uh, <laughs> our most recent uh, bonus episode over there, we did a list of PG PG thirteen horror movies. Oh, such a good list! Out of Disney's so called dark period of the late seventies. To early 80s and ended up watching something wicked this way comes uh which was fantastic my, my addition actually, to the list the... yes we're going to we're going to be recording that episode right after we record this one and i, I can't wait to talk about it i don't usually uh, put my finger on the scale or even like participate in the list crafting process but i participate this time but yeah so we have fun over there it's not always 
lists I like mean, that. It's not but always fun. Up it's there. pretty often lists like this. Sometimes <laughs> it's just not fun. Sometimes I don't put together a fun list and we <laughs> end up watching a terrible movie. Sometimes it's a nightmare. Movie. You know, it happens. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I think the last the last time it was a nightmare. I think was over a year ago, where we did a list. Uh, occasionally, I'll do a list of films that share names with Criterion Collection films. I say, speak uh, for yourself. I love those lists because. They feel the most like a random button in that, like, we could end up with any old garbage, (laughs) like anything could happen here. And we did. And the last the last one we watched was was uh, a movie called The River from the 1980s, starring Mel Gibson as an Iowa farmer or something like that. Uh, And it was a really just a fucking (laughs) trash movie. movie. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Won't be kicking and screaming, but, uh, but, you know. That was the first one. The first one was our nadir. The first time we did the share, <laughs> shares a name, we ended up watching the Will Ferrell kicking and screaming movie. If it's possible, I really do think it's a. It should be a yearly special, just because it is. Yeah. It produces the most fucked up, terrible results. Right. That's all a dollar a month. You get access to that bonus content and all the all the past bonus episodes, so you can go back and listen to to all those terrible and and great. Uh, Bonus episode for non-criterion films. It's everything. Got over sixty, so yeah, a lot of fun times over there. For a little above that, five dollars. It's a level for people who uh, can afford to help keep us going a, a little bit more for that extra investment. I'd like to thank those five dollars supporters on there. So thank you so much to Christopher Otto, Andrew Jarrett, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer, our five dollars supporters right now. Thank you above so that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art once a month based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note and send it off to our $10 and above supporters. also like to thank those folks on there. Thank you so much to Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Nina Bojnak, and Jason Westhaber. Thank you. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criteria in there. See past postcards and buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, as uh, magnets. Uh, pretty much on the cheap too. I, I looked at our our Redbubble numbers because we've sold we've sold a good amount of stuff through the Red uh, Have Redbubble. We? I kind of assumed uh, we hadn't sold very many, and that is why we had no money coming ever. Uh, no, no, no. It's not that we haven't sold a lot. It's just that our margins are set so low nice. that. Uh, well, we want people to buy that them. You we guys, don't care if we make money. We want people right. to buy them. You guys pay a couple bucks for a sticker, and I get like t- ten cents of that, uh, which is fine. Yeah, I'm not. We're not. The Red Bull is not money. for us to make yeah. money. Yeah, so, Red Bubble is so that if yeah. you miss a postcard or you want another one of one, you can just get it. Yeah, without us having to okay. mail it to you. Which <laughs> right, right, like right. I mean, I guess we could theoretically do, but like, come on, like. We can barely get our shit together as it is. Like that's gonna that's gonna take months. Yeah, no one's you're gonna, gonna be like happy order with the a process. postcard and then you'll get it in like five years. <laughs> Thank you so much to anyone who has ordered anything off of Redbubble. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters and thank you to you for listening. And you and you and you. Pat. What? This week we're talking about Night Train to Munich from nineteen forty. Uh, it's directed by Carol Reed and is written by Sidney Gillette and Frank Launder. And Gillette and Launder, I only mention because they also wrote The Lady Vanishes. Okay, I was wondering, like, why, film. why are you dropping these names that I do not recognize? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, they were at the beginning. They wrote of the, the Lady movie, Vanishes. They mean nothing to me. Yeah, 
they wrote The Lady Vanishes, and this is sort of a sequel remake of The Lady Vanishes in a lot of ways. I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, The Lady Vanishes, so I don't know. Um, you you have seen The Lady Vanishes. I, don't, we did I, don't, I disagree. On. I don't remember this. <laughs> have I? Is that one of the it Hitchcocks was, we've seen? Yes. Oh, God, it was I the first know. Hitchcock we saw for the... For, uh, oh, is might that the, the one only with, Hitchcock that also has a the model collection in it? So far. Is that the other one with yes. the weird like zoom-in model? Oh, fuck. Yep. Well, I was going to compare one. it to that because of the model, yeah. but I don't remember anything else about that movie. <laughs> okay, so first off, The Lady Vanishes. I forgive you for not remembering. It is spying number three. C? I remembered the, the yeah. zoom-in at the beginning. Uh, and we actually have one. seen four other Hitchcock films. I, I, I completely forgot about the other Hitchcock films we've watched. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yes. Um, I might be so the lady vanishes. With the zoom in too. Maybe that's I, not that. Which I, one's the one? You know what I, I mean? Where it's like are. out on the balcony. Where she's like outside at this like castle yeah. or something. And like it zooms in. And it like goes from model to crane shot like seamlessly. I, think I am it, pretty it may not sure ever be a crane something, shot, but like it, it looks like a crane shot. Um, I am pretty sure that something like that happens at the beginning of the Lady Vanishes. Not on a castle, though. The Lady Vanishes opens. We're in like an alpine village, and there's a guy singing. Uh, uh, it might be it though. I now I now I'm gonna yeah. fucking watch the opening title sequence of this fucking movie <laughs> while we talk. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, the other reason to bring up The Lady Vanishes is that there are two cricket-obsessed uh, side characters in this film who are stolen whole cloth from The Lady Vanishes. Oh, are they? God, yeah. I do not remember this uh, movie at all because like, you're yeah. like, this stolen whole cloth. Do not remember it. So Charles and Caldecott are the characters' names, and they're played by, uh, respectively, Basil Radford and Naughton Wayne. And they originated in The Lady Vanishes and became a duo out of The Lady Vanishes. And we talked about this when we talked about The Lady Vanishes. I do remember that particularly. Um, so in The Lady Vanishes, they're more strict comic relief characters. They don't really have any bearing on the plot. Here they get a more active role. Uh, from here... The actors portraying them portrayed these two in three more movies. What? And then portrayed a duo either with a changed name or just unnamed in seven other movies that were directly, they were just meant to be these guys, but they didn't have the rights to use these guys' names after 1943. They also did, I think, five radio shows as these guys. What? And then ultimately, yeah, it's so weird that it's a thing. There was even, it wasn't, it wasn't these particular folks uh, by this time, but uh, in 1985, there was a BBC miniseries that, that I would be surprised if it hasn't shown up on uh, PBS mysteries at some point or masterpiece or whatever, Uh, just called Charters and 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 Caldecott. Uh, in which they solve a murder. Uh, what? Yeah. What? I <laughs> yeah. don't understand what's happening here, Adam. Yeah, they're just, they're always here. Uh, they became they became this duo out of The Lady Vanishes, and they show up again here. This is their second appearance, uh, Night Train to Munich, which is two years after The Lady Vanishes. 
another difference between this and the Lady Vanishes is that you may not recall is that the Lady Vanishes uh, is made in 1938, so it's pre-war. Right. It's pre. You know, it's not pre-Nazi, uh, but in the Lady Vanishes, the country they are traveling through is never explicitly named. The enemies they are keeping secrets from and running from are never explicitly named. Uh, right. Whereas here, we have officially declared war already, so right. So we can we can name them as Nazis. Uh, and we can use the names of real countries. Uh, there is one interesting caveat to that: is that this is made earlier enough, early enough in the war, that we are in the eight-month period that's still called. They called it the Phony War, uh-huh. uh, or the Boer War, uh, as a pun on the Boer Wars. Uh, B-O-R-E yeah, war I figured. in this case. Uh, because while, while war had been officially declared because uh-huh. of the German invasion of the Sudetenland and, and pushing into Poland, the rest of Europe didn't care about that. Right, right, right. So, so the phony war is from the declaration of war when the Germans were seen as uppity but not really a threat to anyone important right uh to the invasion of france there's an eight-month period where (laughs) where the british were just openly okay with oh this is going to be like a two-week thing uh where (laughs) where we just shake our finger at the nazis and they go back home or something (laughs) you know so so that's one reason that the Nazis are uh, much more silly here uh-huh. is that we're still in a we're still in a time period where Britain was not taking the war seriously. Right. Uh, that was just yeah. You know, it was war had been declared, but there wasn't even any like even even what had happened. Yeah, there was resistance, but the Sudetenland and, and Poland even, uh, I don't want to downplay that resistance because it did exist, but it was also just mostly the Nazis marching in and saying, hey, we're in charge right, now. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and having such such an overwhelming force that there wasn't a lot, there was just a lot of inactivity during this portion of the war. So, so yeah, that's where it gets the phony, the name the phony war. Uh, which is, I mean, really dismissive of what was happening, uh, right? Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't think the people in Poland thought it was a phony war. So, like, right? Well, yeah, that's yes, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but that does explain the sort of cavalier attitude we have about the Nazis in this period. Which is not to say, like, there are. I think that there is benefit to making comedies in which the Nazis are portrayed as silly. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not exactly that either. No, right? it's this is not. not I, I, the Nazis I, are not slapstick here. No, I... I uh, this one is... This is more... Um, this fits into a, a, a space that I don't think existed very long. Uh, yeah. 
where there's a there's a very finite period of time where the Nazis were where you where people made movies about the Nazis where they weren't slapstick like like we you know where that 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 we do see that happen right yeah um, we see it particularly America yes. we see it happening and, uh, and particularly or, before America entered the war right and we see that there's also in like the and also before they're understood to be like in movie terms like the greatest evil that will ever exist right like the ultimate bad right, guy right? right where where yeah. now like you 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 know don't need to even like explain that phenomenon to your audience right which is where yeah. we end up with um and i i have to say that within within the american context particularly i think that very often, and and the word phony war is coined by an American senator, uh, I think from an American perspective, that portrayal of this as a fake war or the Nazis as just incompetent bozos is actually state propaganda to keep America out of the war. Yes, I, yes, I uh, think so, yes. Yeah, which is... <laughs> One of the few instances where state propaganda in American history was used to to keep America out of a war, uh, which uh, raises its own question about motivations, but uh, we don't need to get into that. Right? Yeah. I uh, mean, uh, what I will say is that just as a as an addendum, I think the movie. So the lady vanishes does start with a model crane shot that we definitely talked about. Yeah. But so yeah. does Rebecca, and I don't know which. One. I think I was uh, blending them together. I think you were blending them because together. neither of uh, them is the thing I remember, but both of them yeah. are close enough to the thing I remember to have me going, "Hmm, did I just mix the two Hitchcock movies we saw early on into one right. mass?" <laughs> Which apparently That's, the answer seems to be yes, I did. Yes, because Rebecca does start with with the established shot of the of the house, and it, and it is a model. Uh, it's very clearly a model, and it is like a model. It. Yeah, but but so but like. Nothing's really moving in it, whereas in uh, *Lady Vanishes* does start with an actual moving model that like has many of the same properties of of this one, uh, in a lot of the same ways, right? Where you're like, oh, that's that's definitely a model. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, all that to say about comedy Nazis, these aren't. This is still a thriller with comedic elements. Yeah, this I mean, and they're, they're not. Comedy. They are not comedy Nazis. Yeah. They are. They are, but they right. are also not understood the, in the context of the movie as the greatest evil that will ever exist on Earth. Yeah, like they just are understood. Point. They are understood as threats to freedom. Yes. They are understood as. Uh, I don't think anyone uses the term fascist here, but they no. are. They are separated from Britain or even from Czechoslovakia as being uh, non-democratic, at the very least. Right. They are. They are understood uh, to be, and they. You do get the start of kind of an earlier version of the like hate freedom rhetoric, right? Like that. Yes. That, that, that yes. predominates the, the like freedom. the way that that people you know the way that people eventually begin to talk about you know Nazis as time right. goes on, but this is still early days where like. You're still willing to put like a couple weird cricket nerds uh, <laughs> yes. in a trip to to Germany at this time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, where that's not an inconceivable phenomenon. Yes, and they are just the the humor around them is just that they're they're 
British Dumbos abroad, right? The and and we are laughing at them for being that. These right, are the right, the guys yeah. who travel to a foreign country and think that they should be treated as as British uh as they would be treated as British at home, you know, and everyone should respect them for being British and make co- <laughs> you know, speak English yeah, to I mean, them. Yeah, I mean the the, the height of of a British and and of course as it follows um, American um yes. entitlement is is the reading the inside cover of your passport as though that has any relevance or meaning. Right? right? They they all right. say that yes. and it is the the least relevant piece of information you could ever read. Right, right, right. Yeah, which is a great bit. Um but yeah, the Nazis here, most of our most of our jokes at the Nazis' expense are dramatic irony sorts of jokes. Yeah, there's not uh, a lot of like, just joke jokes. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, there's a couple, there's a couple good lines in those, uh, you know, and 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 often they are subtle in, in more dramatic scenes, uh, like the, you know, we get, we get a menacing version of that joke when the, uh, commandant of the building where uh, the professor is first being, being held, uh, <clears throat> in Germany, uh, where. Uh, where Dickie Randall uh, comes in to to save them, disguised as the Nazi official, right? Um, one of the first things said when we see him imprisoned in the interrogation is, "You're no longer living in a a decadent democracy run by the intelligentsia, or something like that." Um, you know, and it's meant to be funny that that's how the Nazis would characterize their enemies. Uh, and there's another throwaway line earlier that uh one of the subordinates in an earlier scene says uh talking about the timing of getting them back from britain uh it's like well soon uh poland is going to force us to yes, that, that invade is probably them the, defensively the, one of the most is... like the best lines <laughs> yeah. in the movie straight up is yes. will yes. we'll force us to attack them in self-defense <laughs> yes yes um so yeah the Nazis are are meant to be laughable here, but not laughable in the same way as a slapstick American movie would present them as laughable. Uh, they are still meant to be a threat, and the Nazis here pull, you know, for the sake of the plot, they're really good at espionage, uh, too. Right? <laughs> you know, we we have a healthy respect for the the spy power of Carl Marson, for instance. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're supposed uh, to understand them as well, again, like the movie and the um and you know, we're we're still there's a still a very, you know, a very um sort of I don't want to call it delicate time, but like a right like you're 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 not really at like we're not like we're not talking total war time yet, right? So it's like just a very odd time where like they're like, well, you know, because like plenty of movies have the you know from roughly this time period have the 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 Nazis presented as a an extremely dangerous threat, but they usually don't mix that into a comedy. It, I don't know. It's a very odd time. To- the movie is an odd an odd duck. It is a it is a strange thing that we are that we watched. I think. Yeah, and it's it's mostly strange because of the time period it's in. Right. Yeah, I think yeah because exactly, we're not right. Yeah. 
within a year of this, we're going to get started with the British wartime films that we're familiar with, where it's, you know, a sort of hyper nationalism built into every right. Right. every film. <laughs> uh, right, right. And this just a, doesn't have that. I mean, it has yeah. like, I guess what you call the normal amount of British nationalism, right? The, right, uh, right, right. The sort of the the pot simmering version of that where it's like well there's definitely like british nationalism in there don't get me wrong yeah. but it's not been cranked to 11 yet right right the british the british are down to earth they're not hypocrites they're they're still freedom loving uh but also we can make fun of a couple of british dumbos who right <laughs> who are traveling abroad right you know um yeah, whereas within a few years we'll get movies where <laughs> where the mayor spills glue in women's hair so that they won't <laughs> find men to love who aren't in their own town. Oh right, uh, yes, yes, that... yeah, foreign. They won't fall in love with foreign soldiers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, right, and and uh, yeah, we're we're like, you know, there's not like a complete lack of um, comedies at that time it's just right, that, like right. comedy and the war don't mix you don't you at don't least mix them together. not in our experience i'm sure oh, i'm sure, I'm sure yes, that yeah. there are british films where we haven't seen that are explicitly you know escapist oriented but still about the war and dealing with right, nazis right. Yeah. in this time period i, I yeah I bet. you're right i'm sure there are it's just that like i feel like we've seen you get a sort of feel for what's the sort of going thing yeah, uh, and this is just introducing us to a time period we've just never really engaged with, right? Like it just there's just we just haven't watched a lot of movies from this time period, and and so we've not seen this sort of version of film, um, yeah, especially from Britain. Um, like there are we have seen American films from this time period, but they have a whole right. different sort of perspective because at this point it's like that's they they border on like you know not even acknowledging the war, the, the, there's anything going on. Right. Or, right. I mean, it's a couple of years later, there's that one that was like, I guess it was like, it was in Canada? Right? I've lost track where it was like actively like, we should get it. 49th Parallel. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which was a British film aimed at America. Right. But, yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, that's 41. Right. Um, which is, which yeah. by the end of 41, the U.S. was in the war. Right, so, right. It's, you know. We're, the the window that is operating in is extremely short. We're talking about a, a right. very short window to operate in. Right. Um, another connection to the lady vanishes here is that our female lead, uh, Margaret Lockwood, was also the female lead in the Lady Vanishes. Uh, not the titular lady, because the Lady Vanishes is about an old woman who's also a spy. Which is another. I really like the Lady Vanishes because of aspects like that. Is that the lady who vanishes? Uh, we would never expect her to be a spy, right. but then we find out that that's why she was disappeared. Whereas here, there's less of that sort of proto-feminism in this movie, right? <laughs> um, Margaret Lockwood here, she I, goes along with some I mean, pretty daring things. Yes, but, but she's basically just a football, right? Like, right, right, yeah. She doesn't yeah. really <laughs> have any direct control over any of the things that happen. Right. Um, she's essentially right. just passed from, from dude to dude as a as a thing that they are juggling, right? Like 
and and or trying to protect, right? Like it it, it is right. Like when you get down to it, the plot of this movie is is in, is very 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 simple. Like, um, there's not a lot of like sort of plot creativity here, and and to a certain extent that extends to the fact that there's just like no characters who like. I guess the closest thing you get to characters that surprise you are the two goofballs, right? Yeah. Um In that, like, what I mean is like the the dashing. A hero who comes to rescue her is just a dashing hero who comes to rescue her and is a little a little on the goofy side, just slightly comedic. Um, right. And that may just me be me misreading just somebody being just intensely British, just way more British he's, than I'm used to seeing anybody be. Uh, he is principally silly in his introduction because of his cover. His cover job is just a patently silly job. Right. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it does extend further, though. Like, just like, yeah, he's just got a bit of a goofy air, even as they're like almost sort of trying to fight for their lives and try to escape. He's, I don't know. He's just, yeah, it's probably like a me misreading sort of like um, confidence. Well, you know what I mean? Like, there's that sort of, like, he's got that sort of blasé, like, confidence yeah. that, like, it's easy to m- read as is almost comedic because you are running from a lot of people who are trying to kill you. So being, like, right. really, like, in like way overconfident confident, confident seems comedic. But yes. I don't know if that's he's, what's happening or not. I don't know if that's why I read debonair. He's, yeah, I don't know. He yeah. just and and maybe you're right. It's the starting job. I don't know, but it just comes off as just a little goofy. Um, possibly it's also because of who he's working with by the at the end of the movie, where he's working with the two goofballs. I don't know. Right, right, yeah, and that's that is Rex Harrison in I think his first starring role as well. Um, so you know, there's that. <laughs> I mean, there's also when you, yeah, I, 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 yes, they, they, he, he comes, he, but he is a very, like, the character you expect him to be, right? Like, he is the right. hero who can always get him out of the scrape, comes up with a plan in the nick of time, shoots a gun like a fucking weirdo, so does the Nazi, <laughs> do not know what's going on there. <laughs> Like they both are hunched over their gun in the weirdest possible pose. I do not know what is happening. I I love this era of of yeah. of guns in movies particularly where everyone's I don't know what the kickback on a revolver of the time is. Uh but it seems like if there were actual live rounds in any of the guns here uh everyone's wrist would just instantly be broken. They would have the either broken the, the wrist or, or hit themselves in the face with the gun. Yes. Because yes. everybody is posed with the gun real close to their chest, poised like about nipple height, when yes. you can't even aim down the barrel of the gun. Like, it's a very confusing pose. It is, it's baffling. It's like, what, yeah, but how is that the way you're aiming this gun? Yeah. But their forearm is almost al- always almost parallel to their chest while they're still aiming the gun forward. Yeah, so it's, it's just very, very... It's a strange pose. Yeah. And, like, yeah. they're both doing it, and I'm like, well, no wonder where you're not hitting each other. You guys <laughs> clearly, like, 
You couldn't get a person who knows how to hold a gun into the studio to show you. Very well, none of these people were, were in the army yet, so. Right, right, yeah. I guess that's that's the excuse, because they didn't have gun prop masters. Like, prop masters right, didn't do anything right. about guns prior to prior to the war. All the, Everybody in all, America learned about guns from the war. <laughs> yes. America yes. went from zero guns to all the guns in the span of, like, two years. Uh, and within Britain at this time period, all of all of the people who knew how to shoot a gun were already in the war. But all of the all of the other men who would be forced to learn how to to shoot a gun hadn't been conscripted yet. So right, right, so right. So in yeah, film, they, yeah. in film, we're just left with the guys who we're don't. We're just know left anything. with all the guys that they were like, mm, we're not gonna, we're not gonna teach this idiot <laughs> we, to do it, are we? We don't. This is just a phony war. We don't need you. Right. Uh, until next week when it's a hot war. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just this, like, I don't know. Like, that that ending sequence where they're shooting at each other, it's just like, what, what are we doing here? Like, and I, I, I'm just a big fan of, like, yeah, I like the, the prop work in that era, too, where, like, they try, like, you can just sort of tell that, like, they're kind of suddenly making movies about, shootouts and like they're not whoever's involved is maybe not that great at filming a shootout (laughs) like just kind of doesn't know how to do it either and so you just get these very like well this is a very not dramatic way to shoot this yeah I love that final scene for one particular reason that'll get us talking about other things Uh, and that is the attendant uh, (laughs) yes who is who is the attendant on the German side of the German-Swiss border who who just lives on top of a mountain, only interacting with, uh, you know, his Swiss counterpart and whatever travelers might come through, uh, just has the, th- the thickest Scottish accent and is not <laughs> yeah, even pretending. Yeah. Well, I, I'm... O- okay, let's be very clear here. I'm always a fan of, fuck it, they're all British. <laughs> As a solution to your, like, but wait, how do we make this movie so everybody can understand it? Um, Yeah. where And where my the best part of that, let's be very clear here, is that a some percentage of your actors decide decide to do British speaking with a phony German accent, and some of them don't. So you get a real mixed bag where you have a Scottish dude, and then you have your lead actor being very British and occasionally throwing in a yes. a German act, a fake German accent, and then you have some other people who are doing what I can only describe as vaudeville German accent, where it's just <laughs> yeah, really the, hammy. It's it's very wild. The weirdest one to me is Paul Onreid, uh, who plays Karl Marsen, mm-hmm. and he is Austrian born. And he is he is a uh, he is an objector who was run out of Germany early on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so he's ended up ended up in Britain, uh, but even you know he ended up in the U.S. very shortly after this, um, and then he's Laszlo in Casablanca uh, is probably his most famous role, um, but but he. Uh, <laughs> Once he's openly German mm-hmm. in the movie, 
Like, like he's always meant to be German. Right. But when he's pretending to be a good guy German, his accent is lighter. Yeah, it's a kind of a, when he's it's kind of a goofy, <laughs> when he's openly funny, Nazi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good work. I I just I don't know. There's just something deeply comedic at its heart about British person doing a fake German accent so that you understand it's in Germany, but we're not going to use yes. German. Uh, yeah, absolutely. it is always good, especially when you're when whoever's in charge of the production can't get the amount of accent locked down. Yeah. So each person is essentially doing a different amount of accent. And then right, if you throw right, in right. the German who should be able to do a fake German accent but probably was told that his fake German accent didn't sound German enough. Yeah. And so was like it I I you encounter this often enough, right? Where like actors who are of a specific like who already speak a specific language and know and can and speak the language with that inherent that accent sort of inherently end up getting sort of coached to sound more of that accent. And right, that's right. definitely happened here because his accent is yeah. fucking ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. My other favorite instance of this is the first scene we have uh, in the boardroom of the steel company mm-hmm. because all of those guys are just upper class British accents. Yeah, and there's no Even fake though, accent at all. Like, there's no layer right. on top. And that's yeah. what I'm talking about. You're just like, you, we just cannot. But we can't confuse the audience because the audience, A, doesn't know no. what a Czech. Uh, right, right, right. A Czech-speaking English accent, even they have no idea remotely what that would sound like. So the only option they would have is have them speak with a German accent, which would confuse the audience because the way, are these good right. guys or are these bad guys? Right, because they're not Germans. Uh Yeah. Like, listen, I I understand why all of those choices were no, made. I do They're too. just still silly. Doesn't make them not right. funny. <laughs> yeah, it it is the better yeah. version of all all Romans are are British. <laughs> this right, is my right. the my preferred version of that because it is patently even more ridiculous to listen to. But yes, the Scottish mountain man who runs the 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 German <laughs> side of the Austrian so German good. border. <laughs> It's so good. It's amazing. It's uh, beautiful. It, it, I, I no notes could not make yeah. it better. Uh, that that shootout scene also very notably great for the fact that they are both they are both firing revolvers yes. that just have bottomless yes, bottomless amounts of ammo. bullets. I love it. We until, never see them reload until he needs it to not. Yeah, <laughs> until he needs it to be out of bullets. It's. Until the plot needs there I, to be an empty gun. In my head, I, I as soon as I saw what was happening, I of course like I knew because it's not a hard guess to like figure out what was going to be his eventual escape route. Right? You see yeah. the two gondolas passing each other. You're like, oh, I know how this is going to end. Uh, but I, what I, where I was disappointed is he never at any point throws the gun. Uh, right. When it runs out of, I was like, <laughs> I was waiting for him. I was like, come on, throw the gun at him. Come on. It's meant, it's meant to be like 200 yards. What I you, know, but like it just it feels like hilarious. it should happen. It just, you know yeah. what I mean? It just feels like that should be the solution because it's just, there. it's already the dumbest possible shootout. It's like 200 right. yards with pretty small caliber uh, yes. handguns. Yes. Like there's no way in fuck either of them is hitting the other. We're lucky the wind didn't just blow the bullet off into the ravine. Like, right. Like, just, 
And so it's but like, also, what's happening here? So it's like, might as well just throw like a fucking gun and do the same amount of damage. Yeah. But also the the scale of the uh, of the cars is off. Relatively, on the model. yeah, it's very much model yeah. scale. Where you're like, wait, these cars are in- <laughs> well. Somebody in the yeah. model room, I assume, very very wisely at some point informed him that if you wanted to make it accurate, you would not be able to see the car. Like you'd be able to see the right. car, but it would be fucking tiny. Right, and, right, and like right. that's just not going. You're, you're like, oh well, we want the cars like, to be the, the gondolas to be in the scene. I, yeah. So they I made understand a why. Scale. Yeah, I understand why Reed was especially embarrassed by the models in that scene. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, there were there are times in my notes on the other models where I thought, oh, these models I wrote these these models are great. They're I mean they're they're, they're intricate. They're they're uh, they're they're, they're well always done. They're always models. delightful. Yeah. Uh, they are just. Yeah, I am that, just always amused by, wow, this is a model. Whenever it's on right. screen, and I and my brain immediately goes, woof, that's a model. Yeah. No matter how good the director Every, or the movie is, otherwise, my brain just, I can't help myself. It's like woof. Right. We're in model town today, boys. Like, uh, partially because yeah. I love models. Every time. <laughs> so. Every time they cut to the model shot, that's meant to be the wide shot of this of this sequence happening. It just. Yeah. Nothing in it makes sense. No, it's, it would it's, take it's reality as long as it's supposed it's, to take. It's mind breaking. Yeah. You can't yeah. you can't yeah. look at it and take it seriously. It is it is. <laughs> yeah, you could almost jump across that gap. Yeah, according to, according to the like... model, yes, they, they are they are <laughs> yes. no more they are no more than about fifteen feet away from each other, uh, according yeah. to the scale of the model, um, and the gondolas are each the like the size of semi trucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very silly. Um. <laughs> And then, yeah, I don't know. I I'm I I do in fact love that scene. Like I, it right. is it is stupid in so many ways, but it's but all the ways it is stupid are beautiful. It is yeah. uh, it is meant to be very high high energy, high tension, and it is it is be, that makes it just so comedic. I. And then right. he shoots it. I also like that it, the way it ends, and I li- like is is from the comedic perspective here, that like eventually the German dude, whatever his I forget his name, um, just sort Carl. of gives up. Like he's like I mean, yeah. like, it, it, like he kind of is like oh, I I just can't make it. It's impossible. Yeah, I can't yeah. make it to that lever that's like maybe three feet away from me. I'm not even going to try just to crawl. up a slope. I know uh, it is, but, but like no. No, he, he doesn't does even make a what really appears to be an effort in a right. in a more modern action oriented or even like suspense oriented movie. Yeah, he would almost make it to the lever, right? Like right. the the fact that he just sort of gives up and shrugs and <laughs> just watches very, him right away is yeah is yeah. very is especially especially considering uh like he's been shot in the leg. Yes. So presumably, you know, and and it's a 1940s British movie. We're not going to see massive amounts of blood loss to make it make sense that he can't move or whatever. Right. Um but uh but at the same time uh Dickie, Rex Harrison's character has been shot in the shoulder. Right. And is like and hanging make, from the gondola yeah, still. It makes an enormous <laughs> jump. It's it's yeah. beautiful. And I would like to also just emphasize that, like, 
based on the performance we see from the German who is hunting him, I assume he just starves to death out there on that on that thing because he's <laughs> yeah. if he can't make it up there to flip that lever, he's never going to make it off that slope. He, we are yeah. we are forced to assume he dies out there of starvation. Um, well, uh, no, because the the Scottish guy still alive. No, he's not coming back. <laughs> he's probably not coming back. That's fair. like th- remember, <laughs> but the German shoots at he's him. He's gone back first. to Scotland. He's yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's he's on the next gondola across. Um, <laughs> like, well, in all seriousness, like the German responds to him running away by trying to shoot him. That is fair. That Uses is fair. what would yeah. have been one of his very precious bullets in this 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 gunfight <laughs> to try yeah, to but shoot infinite, the Scottish so. caretaker of the building. Right. A reminder: The German never runs out of bullets. So, no, no, I you know. know. I'm, I'm saying what would have been <laughs> right, in a right. world where yes. where time and space are not completely warped there, by these guns. Yeah, what would have been there a very t- finite resource. Right. There are times the movie does do suspense very well. That end sequence is not one <laughs> that of those is not times. One of them, but yes. but there are times where the suspense is is very good. Yes. Um, even as it's very silly, like when when our our two cricket men. Uh, hide the note under the donut, and you know we get the whole scene of of different people reaching for the donut and then going for yes. something else. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and we're we're afraid that the German's going to grab it, but then he grabs the donut but doesn't notice the note, and then our our uh, heroine picks up the note, and then Dickie pretends it's the receipt. <clears throat> So he's got to go take care of it and pay for it. And it's all it's all very silly, um, but it is uh, it, also good. actually it, suspenseful. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it is suspenseful, and you, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. We're not quite at like um, we're not quite at the point in the movie where you kind of essentially know how this is all going to work out. Um, so like you're, you're like, well, I mean, I know that they're going to escape, but I don't know like what the mechanism. We don't know yet how that will happen, and so yeah, yeah. we get a kind of um. We get some pretty substantial moments. I, I also like that the movie, su- and and again, like in kind of a joking way, that the movie also creates suspense by just making the two idiots very stupid. Yes, and that they forget yes. what they were talking about before they chase the train. Oh, chase the train! Like a thing that has of- never happened to anyone. Let's be very clear. It is- it is actually hilarious that all of the all of the real legitimate suspense in the movie. Is based on whether or not these guys are competent in any given scene, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like none, none of the actual like espionage stuff is really all that suspenseful because everybody's just too good at it, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's like it's even equally matched people like putting yeah. their wits against. So a, even then, like, it's always just moving from like one person having extreme advantage to another person having extreme advantage with like no in between space. They're not really pitted yeah. against each other as much as like one of them has overwhelming advantage, and then oh, now the other one has the overwhelming advantage. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, like there's a scene, uh, Dicky, Dicky arriving at the Nazi headquarters. There are, you know, he's just he's too overconfident and too good at what he's doing in this moment. For any of that to feel suspenseful. Well, and that's and that's kind like, of why I started reading it to a certain extent as comedy, right? Like, right. The right. way he waltzes into the Nazi like admiralty or whatever with such yeah. total confidence that like you can't feel suspense, 
makes it feel like the scene yeah. from a, a scene from a comedy because right. that's what would and happen the, in a comedy. The the fact that the plan for his introductory letter is apparently just make make the signature line of the letter such a scribble that uh that the admiral is going to have to guess at who wrote the note and then just agree to whoever right, he says. Right, and he's just going to have to like if he can yeah. sweet talk them in the time they're trying to sort out who wrote the note, they're just it's yeah, right. man. Yeah. I mean, it and then it is a patently yeah. ridiculous point, but like <laughs> right, right. And yeah, and it works because he's the British super spy who's coming off of a hard loss. Uh, right. Yes, so, yeah. You know. Well, and that's why I yeah. was, you know, that's kind of where I was going with the idea that like he is exactly the character you expect him to be. There there are right. no surprises in this character. Yeah. Yeah, zero. Yeah, all of the suspense is how dumb <laughs> those dumb guys are going to be. Right. Uh yeah, even or our, how other none people of our are other going to react to how dumb they are. Like our lead yeah. our you know, our lead, lead actress doesn't demonstrate any surprise or like unexpected right. traits the the yeah. the the dad the person they're trying to rescue is even more of a football he's just like i'm <laughs> right, not even right. convinced we see him after a certain point um <laughs> you, you know yeah. what i mean like he's definitely in the car but we just sort of stop showing him yeah i feel like yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not entirely i don't think he has a line I don't After, think like, the either. halfway I, point of the movie. No, I don't think so. And that's <laughs> like, what I mean. Is like, maybe he's there, like, physically shot in the yeah. background. But, like, yeah. he, I don't even remember seeing him on the gondola. I'm 99% <laughs> sure on the gondola we see the two guys and um, and, and the lead actress. And then, like, somehow the dad, the, the grandpa, not, I said grandpa, the dad it's is dad. not yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think... I don't remember him dying at any point. No, he didn't so, die. Like, he it's should just like, be there. But, but I, don't I don't remember, remember seeing him because it's a kind of a side shot of the windows, and I don't remember yeah. seeing him. And it makes me just wonder if they like, oh, he's just sitting down. Like, well, we forgot to put him in the shot. Like, oops. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He was in the bathroom, yeah, totally and we, so. just hit, we just went for it. We just, oops. Yeah, because, because Dickie, Dickie and Anna's relationship becomes so forefront you know after after he rescues them right after after he meets up with them to rescue them that he's just not an important character anymore no no <laughs> yeah it's it's very straight like you you started to get into the sort of the mental math and you're sort of as like a viewer of like well he's not really doing this at this point for the scientists or whatever the the the, the, the dad he's doing it for her but at the same time like it doesn't really blossom into what you would consider like a movie romance per se. It's just sort of a right. It, it's an it's an odd movie. Like it's like not that it has to or anything like that, but that's exactly what you would expect to happen. I guess that's the sort of the only unexpected right. part for me and in this movie is that they don't. It never appears to change. The relationship never seems to progress in that way. Yeah, yeah, and she's. The relationship progression implies that she's reticent to trust someone again, but that doesn't have any bearance on the plot. No, like she's no, not. Man. She's not openly. She's not openly suspicious uh, because the last guy she thought was definitely on her side turned out to be a Nazi. 
uh, who was just pretending to be a good guy. Right. I so mean, now I we have that... a good guy show up pretending to be a bad guy, uh, but he's trustworthy because well, well she think... did meet him before. Right. When she he met was him before. So we knew that he was working. And also, like, yeah. at this point, like, I suppose you know, as a you know, we as a viewer also are just like, fine. Can we just like, we don't need right, that as right, a right. conceit anymore. I don't. Because I guess yeah. any port in a storm, if somebody says they're out here to get you out of Nazi Germany, you just say yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I don't but know. the last the last guy who got her out of Nazi Germany just took her back to Nazi Germany. So right, I, I get that. But um, like, I you know, if your choice is guy takes you out of Nazi Germany to take you then take you back to Nazi Germany <laughs> or just stay yeah. in Nazi Germany all the time, I know right. which one I'm choosing. Uh, yeah. Even and even with that foreknowledge, even if you knew that that's what was going to happen, you're right. like, well, you know. Plus, plus, really, what are the chances it's going to happen twice? So. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, exactly. You're just like, this is this can't keep happening to me. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Unless yeah. you're like one of those article, like a BuzzFeed article that, like, you know, the main character <laughs> from one of those, like, this per learn the true story of this person who was brought to England and then returned to Germany 12 times over the course of the war. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their, their love story is not, I mean, it's obviously meant to be like a romance, but yes. Yeah. But it's so much of this movie wants it to be a romance, but it's never really, it's extremely chaste explicitly. And, and it ends. I mean, the fact that he stays in her room is weird for a 40s movie because that would imp- that that's meant to imply things that the movie doesn't actively imply. Well, he even can't talks actively about imply on the couch and yeah. Right, right, right. Yes. The, it's the still presented very chaste. tries to make sure it doesn't it get is, censored. Right. Right. It is yeah. And it's also presented as he's such the good guy Brit that he would never even dream of, but also they need to present as if they he is the bad guy German. So they have to uh, they have to imply that this is happening, even, even as you know, he's got to he's got to make the other Germans believe that this is happening, right. even as he's being chased and sleeping on the couch, uh, and it'll look better if I answer the phone and blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's a very silly movie. Uh, it, it and, is, and it and and I understand. I understand on a fundamental level, like how it ended up in the Criterion Collection. Like we talked about, like yeah. it being essentially a like another crack at uh, the way he right. vanishes, and then you combine that with the fact that like these two two weird, two weird characters show up and like continue to show up later on, uh, and yeah. combined with a bunch of other stuff. Like you understand it's, how it's it Carol happened. Reed. Right, exactly. It's Carol it's, Reed. We've seen a lot of movies from Carol Reed already. We'll see more from Carol Reed. You know, he's a fantastic director uh, when he's given proper models. Um, right. So, but yeah. But like it, and but it's like at the same time, it it seems that like a lot of what makes this movie worth putting in here is not the things that are the actual movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. The actual movie is a feels very also ran uh in right. terms of like like war movies. Yes. Yes and and not just obviously you don't remember enough about the lady vanishes <laughs> no, but I do not. <laughs> there's you know, one of the critiques of this movie from from 
its existence, but certainly in remembering it, is that it is just kind of a remake of The Lady Vanishes. It's got right. a lot of the same elements, some of them very explicitly the same elements. Right, and, and, just sort and of rehashed. you're talking about audiences that like <laughs> literally yeah. probably just watched that movie, what, a year before? Like, when did The Lady Vanishes right. come out? Like, 30, what? 38. 38. So, yeah. So it's like only, it's, it's, it's almost almost inexcusable you know what i mean like yeah if you were an audience member you might be going wait what now <laughs> like did i not already see this movie uh two years ago right yeah and again you know it's got the same star it's got the two bozos uh played by the same guys uh you know and it is it's carol reed and that sets it apart um Rex Harrison in one of his first roles that sets it apart. There are reasons to look at this movie and, and respect this movie, uh, but but it's also weird that you know even the Criterion Collection treats this as sort of an also ran too. Like there's one bonus feature on this, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> well, and that and that yeah. you start to wonder like what does that point to? Is that because like you know. Obviously, like the bonus features are seem to be sort of indicative of like also how important the movie is in the sort of grand scheme of of film history, right? Yeah, because like I mean, the, well, we we were not able to watch the bonus feature for this one, right? But it's a conversation between film scholars from 2010 uh, about Carol Reed generally about our screenwriters. And about the social and political climate of this film, which we have talked about. Uh, I don't know what the what the film scholars would get into particularly, but you know we've talked um, right. about it, about it being coming out during the phony war. Um, but that's the only bonus feature, and like I mean, we've seen Criterion films that have no bonus features yet. Right. Uh, but that's that's not the norm by this time in Criterion's release. Right, and, and kind of what I'm <laughs> like, getting at here is that like. You know, a lot of times when we look at the Criterion uh, Collection's bonus features, they fit into certain categories of types of bonus features. Um, right. And, and like, people talking about the movie who weren't even on in the movie is a kind of feature. But what they aren't usually is f- discussions from 2010. Right. They're usually they, from, like, some what, French cinema, like that French cinema TV show or, or something like that. Yeah. Where, like... Some set of of film people uh, were engaging with the movie as being significant prior to the year 2010. Right. Right. Now, the Criterion essay, by and large, always exists as the defense of why this movie is in the Criterion Collection. Very few Criterion essays we encounter are not that. Um with some notable exceptions, but usually they well, I mean that. sometimes they're just the director yeah. arguing with the audience. Right. Right. Sometimes yes, sometimes they are just old old essays written by the director themselves. Uh but this one this one really this bonus feature, we have the essay separate, which is also sort of that, uh, in the normal way. But this this particular bonus feature seems like it exists as the justification for why this movie is in the Criterion Collection, uh, which is fine. It's just weird. I don't. Yeah. Well, well that, just, what I'm it, what I'm ar- what I'm arguing is is that that like the films, and this is not the first time this has happened. But what I'm kind of getting at is that like 
films that have a long tail on them tend to have a lot of bonus, like things that Criterion could choose as bonus features. Where right. like various TV shows, various here's this and that's have been made about the movie where people were talking about it. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know that they don't exist for this. Okay, I'm not. I, I, it's not fair for me to just blanket say they don't exist. But it does feel like if the if the thing you're putting on here is an um, interview between two film scholars in 2010 about the movie, were you not able to find anything else, or did you not want to put your time <laughs> into finding anything else? Is it because don't. they don't exist, or is it because you? Didn't, I, you know, because we, you're right. Yeah. Like at this point, everything has a bonus feature. At this point, they all come with bonus features. Right. At this point, that's part of the yeah. sell on Criterion DVDs. Was like, we put extra stuff on here. Right. Yeah, and this just seems like such a such an also ran to that. And also, you know, it's from 2010, which means it was definitely produced for the Criterion release. Right. Right. So, you know, it's just not pre-existing. In the same way that that other stuff that we'd encounter, yeah, early at on, least right? was pre-existing, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying that you know, I I think this is a good movie. I enjoyed watching. I, this yes, movie. it was a fun movie. I, I, it was a very nice 90 given. Minutes. Yes, given the 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 strip of movies we're coming off of, uh, a light English language 90 minute film was something I really appreciated. Those are always uh, welcome. When I can do yeah. the dishes and watch the movie at the same time, it's <laughs> right. always and not a lose treat. anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, there are sometimes I will admit, uh, and Ruby's in the room when I was watching this movie. She's like, "What the fuck are they saying?" I was like, "I'm sorry, they're British people doing a fake German accent. It, <laughs> right, it's a little right. hard to follow sometimes. To the point where like sometimes I had to like rewind about. Like, I don't know what anybody in right. that scene just said." Right, and I don't right. have subtitles yeah. to turn on, which is always the sort of kiss of death for me because it's like, well, right, when they're on Criterion, that subtitle goes on immediately, like that is permanently yes. on for me, um, yeah. because I like to actually know what's being said in the movie, um, <laughs> right. and I am getting a little bit older, and that's getting harder and harder to do. Even old movies that are not, um, that are not. Um, the audio is not done the way modern movies audios are done where you're like, I have literally no idea what anybody's saying ever. Right. Um, I'm, you know, my hearing is not as good as it was. And I, and I have a hard time following even older movies. I need to have the subtitles and this one did not have them. And that meant I rewound several times. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What did that fake Um, British German say? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that this, if it, if Criterion is going to release this, it should have been like a bonus feature on The Lady Vanishes. I don't think that's the right way to go no, about this. No. I think maybe uh, a Carol Reed box set would have been more the, the, the play, right. but you know, whatever. I think like that's fine. That could have worked. Yeah. As, as more of, yeah. I think that would have, would have been smarter. And then, and then you can justify a Carol Reed uh, retrospective as the box set bonus feature. And then get on, you know. Right, and then you don't have to tie one the bonus feature to a specific movie that maybe it's not exactly <laughs> right geared towards. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, you're right though. Like, the movie is fine. It's good. Like, if this showed up on like whatever TMC, TMC or like is it yeah. TC? I'm Turner Movie Class. Yeah, TMC or um, what's the other one called? AMC. When I was 
you know younger and had those channels and could just like maybe like oh fuck it throw away an hour and a half what do i care right um yeah it'd be fine it's a good movie for that like it is it has actually just the right amount of goof for one of those because that the the the, the small bit of the ever so often yeah. jank would make it more engaging right <laughs> Absolutely. Like, this is watching a great people fire movie. guns in the stupidest way humanly possible yeah. is a reason to keep watching the movie that you right. could have left behind quite a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. You know, laying on the couch on a Sunday afternoon. Perfect movie. Yeah, Good I mean, which is actually what happened uh, when I was watching this. Right. Movie. It wasn't a Sunday. It right. was Saturday, but I was, like, laying down right. on the couch just, like, watching this as though it was just yeah. on TV, basically. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's... There's not a lot of substance. No, um, it doesn't. It does not require a lot of mental but, effort to get yeah. through the movie. But you know, the the cultural and political stuff that appears to be part of the bonus feature, and we talked about at the beginning of this being released during the phony war period, and and probably wholly produced either during that period or prior to it. Uh, you know, it makes it an interesting cultural artifact. Yes. Yeah. And maybe, I guess there's a chance that it's the most interesting of the possible cultural artifacts from that time for us to look at. I mean, it's possible. It's not a it very is. long window of time. Yeah. It's eight months, and this one's directed by Carol Reed. Yeah. Right. Have at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, assuming that, like, yes, if their goal is to, like, talk about that time period and how it relates to film, that might be very well true, and... But also, one has to wonder if if an eighth an eight month period like there's probably just not that many films from that time period. So like, it, you know, it, it it is fascinating. I agree. I mean, like that was the thing that engaged me at the beginning of the movie when the movie was kind of boring. Um, right. Was thinking about how how funky the sort of world that they live in in this movie is because it is essentially a sort of uh, like a kind of non-space in time, right? Because, like, we don't... We, especially as the audience now, know exactly where things are headed, but your your directors and your, your characters and everybody in the movie, involved in the movie, don't. But it's far enough along where they, like, recognize this is the enemy. So the movie is about yeah. an, an, a specific enemy, unlike The Lady Vanishes, but also kind of doesn't want to but also is very clear about the fact that, well, open war has not been declared here. Right. Not really. Uh, Powell's got a movie called Contraband. That's a, a spy movie out in early 1940 that uh-huh. maybe would have been interesting here. I mean, they could have been a pair. You could have been like, you could have been like 40s pa- spy movies. I mean, scrolling through this, nothing's really jumping out at me either from director right. names or, <clears throat> or, or film titles that, seems like it would have been better choice so right. assuming uh, that their motivation is to talk about this time period in film right yeah like, and not yeah. that like they decided on this movie and then that is a sort of like back justification in their minds for like why this is like worth putting in here or something like who knows yeah. i mean like we've talked about it before the, the the criterion collection is fundamentally inscrutable um right as an organization reed's, and like in its decision making process reed's got another film that came out earlier in the year uh, called The Stars Look Down, that it's about uh, the industry, <laughs> the, the about the injustices in a mining town in Northeast England that uh, Margaret Lockwood's also in. Oh, interesting. Uh, that seems like 
I would absolutely be interested it's in watching like that a movie, movie we might have been more interested uh, in. But how many yeah. really awkward gunfights would that movie have had? <laughs> Almost none. Yeah. Like, you would think. You would hope. <laughs> the movie's uh, entirely just awkward gunfights that begin to end. Yes. People holding pistols yes. in really weird ways. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, another another sort of interesting aspect of this movie is that it's, it's based on a short story, uh, uh, which I, according to Wikipedia was called Report on a Fugitive. I've also seen it referred to as just Gestapo uh, by a guy named Gordon Wellesley. Uh According to, I think it was, it was either Reed or the screenwriters get quoted in the Criterion essay saying, uh, yeah, we used that whole story in the first 10 minutes. And after that, we were just making it up. <laughs> of course. And that Gordon, uh, it's re, it's a quote from Reed. We used up Gordon's story in the first 10 minutes and invented the rest. Gordon was very amused because he got an Oscar nomination for best original story. <laughs> Because of it, because he's still listed as a, as a screenwriter right. for it. Um, That's so, very funny. That is very funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not read the story. I don't know uh, how much ends up in here, but I don't imagine it's the first ten minutes. But well, I assume it's I think like that's that, probably that an first, exaggeration. That first bit where they like. Probably up until the yeah. point where they get kidnapped back or something like that. Right, like. right. Obviously, through the concentration part, I bet it's I bet it's part of the original story, but but even that's a little more than ten minutes. Though, though I mean, this movie does get started very quickly. So yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which you know that's well, that's, that's another that interesting aspect. That, that tends to be a uh, I I feel like that seems feels like it's a feature of movies of this sort of era where like yeah like I feel like the preamble getting longer and longer and longer is a function that we've you and I have especially have lived through as like movies just build right. to like <laughs> right like there's a reason why every movie is like two and a half hours long now and it's not just because yeah. like the stories have gotten more complicated which is maybe maybe or maybe not true but like. They just everybody needs to set up their world just so much harder than right. they I feel like than they used to. Where we gotta we gotta be forty five minutes into the movie before we even show a title card. Uh right, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. although I, I like how this one does do world building because they're like, We need to make sure everybody knows the Nazis are bad. Uh right. this is essential world We're building <laughs> because we are talking about a place where like it's- not that long, like at this time, there are still Nazi sympathizers just living. In, yeah. You know, it's just a normal yeah. thing that still exists. It's it's early enough that we do actually have to tell people that Nazis exactly. Are bad. And so that I find that very yeah. funny. And the way they handle that is just like a lot of aggressive marching. They're like, well, we have lots of footage yeah. of aggressive marching. Um, and also, <laughs> Fuhrer stand like Hitler stand-ins like pounding on tables, which is yes. which is pretty great. <laughs> like. Just screaming in German as he pounds on another yeah. like another piece of land. Had his had his uh, number pretty early on that one. Uh, yeah, they, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole the the sequence of this movie covering the invasions is yeah, it's it's very it's a, good. It's just uh, man it's, pounding on table and stock footage. Yeah. I love it. Right. Yeah. Just cut back and forth. Uh, <laughs> it's very good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing particularly bad about this movie. No. Uh, even, uh, you know, 
it has been a very long time since you've seen The Lady Vanishes. I've watched it a little more recently because I have revisited it, and I, I really do like that movie. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it almost certainly pales in comparison, but I don't think it needs to be dismissed because no, no, but of like, comparisons that could be made. And, you know, the screenwriter, it's the same screenwriters and they're, they're leaning into the similarities at times, particularly, you know, it's another train thriller. Uh, it spends a little less time on the train. Uh, it spends quite a bit of less time on yeah. the train, actually. The train's but, actually not. Like, for yeah. a movie named Train to Munich, it's... Um, right. Right. It's got train in the title, but it spends much less time on the on the train than on The Lady Vanishes. Though I guess similarly, uh, The Lady Vanishes, the titular lady is not in the movie all that much. So here the titular train is just not in the movie all that much. <laughs> right, right. Same, same basic <laughs> notion. Um, yeah. What I, what I will say about it is, and I, I you know this sort of summarizes for me, is like, the kind of movie this is is a kind of movie that has always been made and will always be made, which is like right. This is a competent, above above confident, a competent like thriller slash actionish kind of adjacent movie that like has a very similar plot and setup to other successful movies of the same genre because that's just how this always works, right? Um. We're we're only running into problems is more just that like it feels a little like there's not a lot that makes it a cut above that. Um but it's good. I watched it, I enjoyed myself, I have no complaints. I it was a very relaxing time, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you can watch a movie about Nazis and relax. That's very well, yeah, it's it's all part of my the, the structure of privilege that I have in my life. Where yeah, yeah, I I <laughs> find nineteen forties movie Nazis to be wholly unthreatening. Uh, I mean, and also the movie kind of does too. So right, well, exactly. Right. The, like part of the reason yeah. you can relax is the movie is like not that worried at any given time. It's like ah, oh, they'll be fine. Don't worry. They shoot a lot at the end, and then they just sort of just give up. And mostly just break a bunch so. of windows and then yes. Yeah, happens. Yes, there's a lot of broken windows. Man either uh, jumps five feet or five hundred feet. Unclear based on model scale. <laughs> yes, uh, it is a fun movie, but I think it's time to pull this one to yes. a close. We don't need to talk. Yeah, we're we'll just circles on this. Night Train to Munich. Uh yeah, nineteen forty from Carol Reed. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Next week we're starting off a little duo of Ozu films. Uh, with The Only Son, and that'll follow up with There Was a Father, uh, part of a box that released two films by Ozu. These are early. The Only Son is from 1936. Do look forward to that. We've seen Ozu from earlier than that already, and we've seen Ozu from later than that. So, you know, Criterion loves an Ozu, and so do I. So yeah, thanks, I mean, Criterion. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Lost of Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ovitari-Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
this has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Obertari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.